the answer to life, the universe, and ufology, with special guest Bill Konkoleski. Episode 42 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. Hey everyone, what's going on? Hello everyone, and welcome to the only podcast that takes you down the rabbit hole on an escalator. Absolutely. It is November 11th, 2022. How the heck are you? I was going to say it's a Friday night. These teachers have been active all week long. It has been a crazy (laughs) week. That is for sure. But we have a pretty packed episode for you. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. Well, first up, we've got to mention that we started a new live show called After the Cast Live. The first episode rolled out last Saturday night on November 5th on our YouTube channel. Um, our guests on the panel were set for an evening of in-depth analysis when Jack Bashong himself joined the discussion. Our next live show will be also on our YouTube page next Saturday night, November 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you check us out. You never know what surprises we may have in store for you. Our After the Cast Live show is basically all about having a panel discussion with some friends and talking about some previous episodes. So the show that we will do on the 19th will be in discussion of this episode, episode 42, with Mr. Bill Konkoleski. You know, besides the stories that you're going to hear tonight from Bill, we like to hear your stories. So if you have a story you would like to tell, we would like to talk to you. You can reach out to us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a brief summary of your experience and we'll contact you to discuss things further and try to get you or your story on the podcast. One of the things I want to do right now is I want to also give a quick announcement about an Unsolved Mysteries episode called Body in Bags. This episode was actually about a co-worker's brother-in-law. After talking with him, we asked if we could share this with our listeners to hopefully get some help and provide any information they may have. Please watch the episode on Netflix called Body in Bags, and if you have any information that you can provide for the capture of Tamara or Tammy Renee Williams, please contact one eight seven seven wanted 2 or go to unsolved.com. There is a $10,000 reward for information leading to her capture. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal murder, and uh, this woman needs to be brought to justice. And if our listeners and the podcast can help, we would like to help the family put closure to this. So if you do have any information, we really appreciate it. All right, Michelle, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry already for dinner. 
It's time to go to New Boston Coney and Grill. All right, let's go. New Boston Coney and Grill. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! Hey, Michelle, I think it's that time. Yeah, it's time for What's in the News. Yes, baby. What is <laughs> in the news? Well, coming out of Yahoo News and their sci-fi section... U.S. government reportedly finds UFOs are more likely to be airborne trash than aliens. Yeah, they've basically rifted off of the New York Times article of almost the same exact title. But this will get everybody fired up. Here we go, guys. Just released November 3rd of this year. Considering that many abduction stories involve terror, confusion, probes, and experimentation, People are wild about UFOs. Flip through the TV channels at any given time and you're likely to come upon someone talking about alien ships or technology. UFO Chronicles, now streaming on Peacock, is one such documentary-style show detailing the accounts of UFO and alien encounters. According to government officials, however, these unidentified flying objects are actually pretty mundane. In June of 2021, government officials released a preliminary report on UFO sightings, which didn't have a lot of answers. In total, 144 sightings were investigated, and only one of them could be explained. Now, government officials have a few more answers. On Halloween of this year, intelligence officials reportedly delivered a classified document to Congress updating that initial report. While Yahoo News hasn't yet seen that report, the New York Times spoke with individuals familiar with the findings. Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. The United States government has gotten away from calling these sightings UFOs, largely because of the loaded cultural connotations which come along with that name. Instead, they have begun referring to them as UAPs, short for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. It's the same thing, really, just a new acronym. We like to say UFOs. In recent years, the government has taken a keener interest in these unusual sightings and put together commissions to figure out what's flying in our skies once and for all. So if you were waiting for the big reveal that aliens are in fact visiting our planet to see what we're about, share their technology, and invite us to their pizza parties, you're going to be disappointed. Their findings have less to do with alien armadas or experiments on cows and more to do with ordinary objects viewed in unusual contexts. All right, here comes the stigma. It's coming back. Here we go, everybody. This is going to make many people mad. This is is awesome. This is your government-controlled media. There, I just said it. Let's 
finish their narrative. According to the Times report, some of the sightings were determined to be ordinary drones, something which is likely to become more common as the technology becomes more ubiquitous. The object over your neighborhood isn't an anthropomorphic cellphiloid <laughs> from Gamma 6. It's just Timmy from next door with his new toy. Oh, my God. This is absolutely ridiculous. Dude. It isn't all boring, though. Some of the drones were identified as spying devices from foreign nations, which is a little spicier than the weather balloon explanations we've received in the past. Although there were some of those as well. It's swamp gas, everybody. We're going back to swamp gas. I can't, I cannot believe that they're, they're actually putting out articles about this. They and it, it's, the, this. it's the New York Times. They're the ones that broke the three videos from the Navy and the Navy pilots. I wonder how David Fravor and his wing man, I guess wow. well, it was a woman, but you know how his wingmen are, are feeling right now about what these articles are coming out and saying now. Well, let's take a look at the rest of this. Some right. of the sightings have been identified as balloons, the classic cover story for alien visitation. Whether those balloons were used for weather forecasting or spying is unclear. Or used as bombs, by the way. The okay. Japanese did that. Yep. In the years since the preliminary report was released, government officials have have continued to collect sightings, mostly from military personnel, and most of those have had mundane terrestrial explanations. So drones, balloons, or airborne trash floating wildly on the wind. Hey, airborne trash. Is that like trailer trash? Like the articles that they've been putting out for the New York Times and... Now they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Oh, this is bad. They're not just putting the genie back in the bottle. They're shoving it back in the bottle. Not only that, but they're they're trying to make everybody look crazy again. Here we go. Super the, I mean, you can read it in this article. You they're can... going to super glue the lid to that lamp. Um, Let's but, go. But many of the older sightings remain unsolved. That's likely a consequence of a lack of sufficient data to make a determination one way or another. For those older sightings, that's unlikely to change. A grainy video remains a grainy video. It's worth noting that unexplained means exactly that, and we should be careful not to force an outlandish explanation not supported by the evidence. Intelligence officials remain steadfast that there is no evidence of alien visitation. Except for the Navy had leaked or released or had stolen from them those three videos where they were like, these are real videos. These are real UAPs. They're the ones that put it out. And now they're trying to say a grainy video remains a grainy video. What yeah, in and, the hell? Well, you know, let's talk. We could talk triangles on this one, too. Please tell me that we have a 300 foot drone. No, we don't. No. Despite these efforts to explain what people are seeing, conspiracy theories about visiting extraterrestrials. Yeah. Conspiracy theory. There you go. There's there's another magic trigger word for you. Remain popular in the public consciousness. That's a result of several factors, including the ordinary subterfuge, which surrounds these kinds of events. Okay. So let, let's look at the words being used here. Drones, balloons, airborne trash. And then we jump to... Uh, conspiracy theories, and now we got the consciousness word. Okay, here we go. 
<laughs> Get woke, Wayne. In the past, UAPs <laughs> have been the result of classified technologies or spying efforts from other countries, both of which are scenarios the government has has an interest in obscuring. We don't want other people to know what we're working on, and we don't want them to know that we know they're spying. But those efforts go a long way toward fueling conspiracy theories. There's the words again. True believers are often right that the government is hiding something, but they're probably wrong about what? True believers. Uh Uh-oh. Is that getting close to the word truther? Uh-oh. The other factor, and maybe the most important one, is pure human nature. Alien visitation is just more interesting than a rogue weather balloon and some atmospheric distortion. Unless, of course, that atmospheric distortion is caused by a UFO. It's for those reasons that belief in alien visitation is probably here to stay, even when the alien crafts turn out to be sky trash. Wow. Mic drop. <clears throat> This this wow. is an article that basically mirrors the New York Times article, and I'm sorry, I'm not paying a dollar a week for the New York Times so I can read an article, and this is the kind of stuff they're putting out. For the last year and a half, they've been all happy-go-lucky about UFOs and the hearings, and all of a sudden, this was great, and now... It's airborne trash. You're always going to get those articles out there that are just out there to ruffle feathers and piss people off. So, well, there you go. You know what? Here, I'm going to help them with their UFO slash UAP identification. Are you ready? Okay, I'm hitting the print button and I'm printing out this article. All right, everybody. Okay, I got the article. I got it right here. Okay, here we go. And throwing it in the air. There we go. We got airborne trash. Hey, we got air trash, guys. Air trash. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, if you're interested in reading that news article, you can find the link to it down in our show notes. We have a copy of it laying on the floor, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whatever. All right, Michelle. I think we should go ahead and get into bringing on our guest for this episode, which I'm sure would probably really set off the people at Yahoo News or the New York Times with his stories and information. I was going to say, he might like to use that article as some kindling for a nice backyard fire. Absolutely. All right, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest tonight, Bill Konkoleski, the Michigan State MUFON director. Well, we have, I am an experiencer, meaning that I live a normal life occasionally interrupted by mysterious events. My very first memory all the way back to age two is of the night in 1973 when I was visited by a strange little man with giant gleaming eyes. This would be only the first of many encounters with very real beings of this kind I would have over the years. Some of these events were terrifying to the extreme. Added to this were the out-of-body experiences and psychic premonitions I was experiencing while growing up in a house that, on top of everything else, was also filled with ghost activity. This is a true story of what a childhood is like under these circumstances. This was my childhood. This is my life. I am an experiencer. William Konkoleski is state director of the Michigan chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. He has shared his personal abduction experiences on ABC's television, P3, 
Peter Jennings reports UFOs seen as believing and the Sci-Fi Network's alien abduction diaries, as well as through numerous radio programs and printed publications. And now he shares his experiences with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help us welcome to the podcast, Mr. Bill Konkoleski. Bill, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Wayne, for having me on. Absolutely. So to get things rolling, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you eventually ended up as the director of Michigan MUFON? Well, like many people who become involved in MUFON, I had seen things myself um, for starters. And, um, my very first sighting, just like pure sighting was I was 10 years old and I saw this white ball of light zipping around the sky. And I'm like, well, no aircraft can do that. It was, it was pretty cool. And when I was 18, a high school senior, um, I had a, a more interesting sighting. Me and two buddies were, um, hanging out in his Chevette waiting for another friend to come home from work. It was 9 PM. February. Um, so here in Michigan, quite dark. And we're all sitting there when this blue ball of light about the size of um, a car at about the height of two telephone poles slowly flew over the car we were in. We watched this thing fly over at low, fairly low altitude, right? And then um, after that, a white ball of light came and ping-ponged all over the entire sky. It was zipping from one very end of the sky to the other, um, really something. And then when that disappeared, a red ball of light appeared in the center of the sky, grew to the size of a full moon, which is quite large when you see something like that. And then it shrank and then disappeared. And uh, we're, you know, <laughs> our jaws dropped. We all saw the exact same thing and we didn't know what to do with it. One of my friends says, hey, you know, we should tell the police. And I'm like, you know, we're a bunch of high school seniors, uh, you know, like they're they're going to give us any credibility. And then my other friend says, hey, maybe we should tell Selfridge, Air National Guard Base. I'm like, okay, so we're not going to tell the police, but we're going to go to the military and tell them about our sighting. And so, you know, we didn't tell him. Well, I told my a coworker the next day who actually saw a blue ball of light in the sky, very interestingly. So didn't know who to tell, sat on it for several years and... Um, during my college years, I, I met somebody who was from Chicago, and she says, hey, there's this place here called the Center for UFO Studies, and they look into UFO sightings. And I'm like, okay. So on a visit out there, I went into their office and met a guy by the name of Mark Rodiger, and he said, well, why, how come you didn't tell your state MUFON chapter? And I'm like, MUFON, what's that? And so he directed me to uh, Shirley Coyne, who was then the state director. I told her about my sightings and everything and um, friendship ensued. And I really appreciated um, how she handled things, um, how big of an organization MUFON was even bigger now. And just 
the professionalism, everything. I'm like, I had no idea that there was a group like this that looked into UFOs at this level. And so, yeah, in 1993, I came aboard, uh, excuse the pun, and I've been a member ever since. Um, I've worn a few different hats besides field investigator. Um, I did the international website from 2000 to 2004. A lot of news-related things uh, with the organization uh, on top of, again, the field investigation. And then in 2004, I became state director for Michigan, a title that I've held ever since. So um, in about, you know, a couple months, it'll be 19 years doing this, which is uh, about three times as long as anybody else in in Michigan has ever held the title. And um, yeah, just getting started. Yeah, yeah, you're just warming up. Mm -hmm. Um, So with those sightings that you had, I have a couple of questions about that. Uh, Number one, where did this take place? And number two, did you notice any kind of detail about the, uh, what did they look like besides like a glowing orb? Did you see any kind of a craft or texture or details or anything like that? In, in those two, no, um, there wasn't, there is another sighting that I had that I, I didn't um, mention here, but um, in those two sightings, it was, they were just lights in the night sky. Um, the white dots were white dots. The red ball was a red ball. The blue shape had a disc sort of shape to it, but no, no details to it. I would say it was, you know, you could say, oh, it was like football shape or something like that. And that's, that, that's, that, that's accurate. Um, one sighting that I did have after that, um, I did see um, back when I was, let me see, what would have been the year on it? I think it would have been 92. Um, I I wouldn't call them exactly triangles, um, more sort of bullet shaped with like a scoop out of the back with a single spotlight underneath them um, doing very fast um, flyovers in the sky. And no, I, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, very, very strange, um, I don't think that they were military for good reasons. Um, but, um, those were also unusual. Now, where did this take place? Cause you talked about oh. Selfridge and I grew up in the shadow of Selfridge, um, you know, the air national guard base. So where, where were you at when you saw these? Um, in Sterling Heights. Oh, yeah. okay. So not too, too far. Right. And, um, a, a, one of these guys who were witnesses ended up working at Selfridge many years later, which now thinking about it is kind of funny, I guess, but you're obviously an author and you've wrote two books and mm-hmm. the book, the experiencer raised in two worlds. On the mm-hmm. back cover, it says some of these events were terrifying to extreme. Can you tell us about some of those events and why were they terrifying to extreme? What happened? Okay, so setting the table for um, a bit more about myself, and, and I would say a great more about myself, Um I um, am not just, I have a couple of little fun phrases I like to say about this. You know, I'm not just MUFON president. I'm also a customer and uh, <laughs> right. you know, UFOs took an interest in me before I took an interest in them. <laughs> uh-huh. But it it really 
it has been part of my life at a profoundly deep level as I've not only seen UFOs, but um, the apparent occupants of such. My very first memory at age two, I guess we're jumping right down the rabbit hole. Um, is... Yeah, let's go. We just turned the escalator <laughs> on and we're flying down that hole now. Age two, my very first memory in life um, is at night. I'm in my crib, not asleep. And this little gray guy comes walking in the room, super big, black eyes, wrap around, black eyes, just staring down at me. And I'm screaming for my parents in the next room. My mom keeps saying, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. I'm like, I am not asleep. <laughs> I haven't been asleep. And then after a moment, the thing seemed disinterested and walked out of the room. Uh, my assumption was to possibly one of my older brother's rooms. I have four older brothers, no sisters. And um, yeah, and so this wasn't something that years later I was like, oh, you know, I think I kind of half remember something when I was like, no, it burned in my memory right when it happened. And, you know, I've had people say, oh, nobody remembers things from age two. Talk to enough people. You'll find plenty of people have memories uh, of that early age. It's not my only memory of age two. Um, I also have a memory of being at uh, Greenfield Village. I have a memory of from Niagara Falls when I was three. You know, I there's a handful of memories um, from back then. And then for me, in terms of contact experiences, my next remembered one is age four. I was in my room. It was in the afternoon, about two o'clock. Three little gray guys came in. And um, yeah, they actually, um, this this is just, I mean, if we're, if we're going down the rabbit hole, let's go for it, huh? Um, they actually pulled me out of body and they wanted to see how well I operate in a non-physical form. And, and I, I, I made them happy apparently. And um, yeah, they actually, the, the experiment that they wanted to try was they wanted me to float down the stairs, which I like face first which I did. And they were very happy about that. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. I got to tell my mom. And they're like, no, no, you can't tell anybody. And then they popped me back in my body. And then when I woke up, I tried to recreate it. I tried to crawl down the stairs face first and, and that didn't go quite the same, but um, yeah, the scary part. So, I mean, you asked specifically about terrifying, obviously a little gray guy at the foot of the crib at age two is, is terrifying. That thing at age four, not so much. But at age seven, I was taken on board. I like to say on board, but I, I was in a round structure. And uh, it, it was likely a flying saucer, but I don't know because I didn't see the exterior. And um, I was stuck into a chair where they sliced my arm. I still have the scar. And um, then deposited back in bed. Um, that's kind of an edited version of the story. And the next day, uh, I was playing out in the backyard with a friend of mine from across the street. I was seven. He was six. We're climbing trees in my backyard when this mist rolled in through into the backyard with a little gray guy in it. And he telepathically asked me if I was OK. And I said, yeah, I'm OK. And it seemed satisfied. And then he walked out with the mist surrounding him. My friend remembers the mist. I still keep in touch with him. He didn't see the little gray guy, but he does remember when the mist came in. And yeah, so those were some of the early ones when I was young. And then it the it uh, continued into my teens. And in fact, it intensified in my teens. 
um, and leading up to perhaps the most scary thing, if that's the direction that we're heading, in that I saw this being that was about seven feet tall on board, um, and I thought of it as a giant praying mantis, looked very much like a praying mantis, and had a very intense energy to it. It its level of 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 energy was just astounding, and and to me it was. I was very afraid of this thing because of how uh, consecrated its energy was. And um, it would, they brought me directly to this thing to scare me. Um, and <laughs> it was like being brought into the principal's office. I was age 16 <laughs> and this thing was like telling me to go along with the program and, and saying that, you know, I'm resisting too much and just to go along with it. And I will be able to, see the benefits uh, of my participation rather than struggling against it. And it, it really much felt like the little gray guys. And I, I've seen three foot tall gray guys, five foot tall gray guys. And it just seemed like they were having a very difficult time impressing me that I should go along with the program, so to speak. And so they brought me into to another being that they thought would have a, a greater effect on me. Uh, he frightened me, that's for sure, but I don't know if I was any less resistant after that. Now, did you see the body of this larger creature? Was it like insectoid or <clears throat> was that just like the appearance of like the the body and the arms and or did it not have arms? Okay, so one really odd thing about it, um, first of all, um, I thought of it as a mantis. I even called it a mantis. And to my friends that I could talk about this with in my family, I was referring to it as a mantis. Interestingly, um, just a few years later, when I started to dive into um, contact literature, um, like the works of Whitley Strieber, for example, um, he in fact calls them mantis. He not only saw them, but he actually calls them the same thing, mantises. And so I thought that was, that's very interesting, like that somebody else not only saw the same thing, but calls it the same thing. Then I started to run into several other people. Now, one detail that I left out just here um, is, is humorously a detail that several other people share in that it looked like this thing was wearing like a cheap wizard Halloween costume. It just had this sort of tacky robe on it like almost like a graduation robe like slash wizard robe really shiny and um so i didn't really get a good look at its body because of this garment it had on and it would come to i would come to find out that that's how other people encountered this thing too yeah it 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 just looking at a picture just seeing the outfit of this thing on somebody else's sketch of it is just it's 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 funny and it's chilling at the same time well since you mentioned that they spoke telepathically to you do you think they were maybe reading your mind to to figure out a way to present themselves to you in a certain way um to a degree i think they understand our limits and um that how much we can take how much fear um, you know, we're very much a, a fear-based species, and we can be coerced to do things from fear. We can definitely be triggered by fear. And 
And so I think this mantis being was a, a an understanding that this is probably the limit that I could accept. I, I would have a hard time with this, and that was intentional, that it was, this would be difficult for me, but it wouldn't be so much that um, I, I couldn't handle it. So I, I do think, yeah, they know um, our, our limits, and that can be useful to them sometimes, sure. So why raised in two worlds for like a subtitle? Why why did you go that route? Okay, so um I was raised normally. Um my childhood wasn't that weird. You know, I had bunches of friends, played soccer, had a paper route, you know, uh, you know just normal things dated in high school, yada yada. Not really anything out of the ordinary. So very much of this world and of this expectations that you have of children and teens and and growing up in general. Except um, there was this other part of growing up. Um, my friend Sandy Nichols, also an experiencer, once asked, he's like, do you ever wish that this had never happened to you? And I said, I don't know. I wouldn't recognize myself. <laughs> because it was it's been very foundational to my life my very first memory is this stuff my you know at 2 4 7 9 10 all through my teens into my 20s and it it, it eventually led up but um i was brought up in a normal world that where this type of thing doesn't exist and yet this 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 basically is part of who I am, part of my identity, every bit as much as the the normal stuff, if that's what you want to call it. And so, you know, it seemed like my life was on two tracks, two separate segregated tracks running at the same time, and um, hence raised in two worlds. Okay. And, 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 and so I knew at the time that I, I put this together, um, things, I think the amount of uh, material has expanded um, since when I, I put this out. I think it was 2009, if I remember right. The um, When I was first getting into the UFO books, um, I joined MUFON in 93, um, found out a lot about my abduction experiences. I was regressed and then started reading a lot of the books after um, I had an opportunity to explore my memories without polluting them potentially. And then just was going through the book, seeing what agreed and what didn't agree with what happened to me. And a lot agreed and some didn't. And the eventually um, there were a lot of books that talked about um, when we explore the lives of children, this is who've had these type of contact experiences. This is what we find. And it was very third person. And there wasn't that sort of first person voice of actually being the one that grew up during through this. And that although that's changed, um, I saw, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I have great notes on my experiences. This is something that could add to the discussion. Um, and, and so that's was uh, the source of why I of that first book being up until about age 20 and talking specifically about growing up with this type of experience. Okay. So moving on from the first book, then let's get to experiencer two mm -hmm. when worlds collide. And that's your sequel to the experiencer. Since you mentioned worlds colliding, 
Can you tell us what happened to conjure that as a subtitle for your follow-up to the experiencer? Okay. So when in the first one um, with being raised in two worlds, it just seemed like um, I had my normal life with these vignettes of paranormal. Um, I, I don't mean to offend anybody who doesn't like to hear paranormal when the UFO topic is brought up, but um so I had these strange experiences, not only UFO, but other sort of supernaturally type of things as well, um, which is another big chunk of my growing up. And but they they seem to be separate. This, you know, I would live my life. This weird thing would happen, live a little bit more life. This other weird thing would happen. But as I got into my early 20s, it seemed the phenomena took a very specific, deep interest in my personal life. And this is common. Um, I've been part of a lot of experiencer groups who um, uh, sit around, used to be in person, now lately on Zoom, talking about their experiences. And the very extra strange part of the phenomena in that it's not just that the beings come and take somebody and maybe have some physical examination in mind or something like that. They're very interested in the places where people live, the people uh, that they they marry, um, all sorts of uh, uh, where they work, all sorts of circumstances. It's, it, it's, it's on a strange intrusive level. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, the, the two worlds suddenly became one for me, like every step in that sort of foundational period of life from about 20 to 25, where you're really aiming yourself in a particular direction and and, and coming into adulthood, they were like, okay, uh, you know, let's work this plan. (laughs) Let's work this plan together. And yeah, the, 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 the phenomena just embedded itself in my life. The two worlds collided, so to speak. And, uh, and, you know, it's made all the difference, really, um, in terms uh, of so much uh, that happened in my life back then and the direction it pointed me in, uh, in including joining MUFON and, and becoming embedded in the phenomena that way. So do you think that they they had a plan for you to get to being like state director at this point? I mean, I've heard different stories like my wife and I being educators and you know, uh, I'm a science teacher. She's an English teacher. Our experience, we had seeing a giant black triangle in 2018. And now here we are trying to figure out what it was, what was going on. And we're talking to all these people now over the last two years over a podcast of something I've never wanted to do. Michelle's never wanted to do it. And just really bizarre how we ended up here and the people we've connected with like Jack and I. So Jack Bouchong was on our previous episode and we were talking for 45 minutes to an hour before we even started recording because him and I have Mm -hmm. so much in common. Michelle was telling his wife, Hey, come up to Michigan. You have a long lost brother-in-law up here. Like we're like two peas of the pod. You know, it's just really bizarre and all the different experiencers and stuff that we talked about. And I noticed this common like thread that runs through this. And I think it was maybe it was a book by Jacques Vallée that I'm digging through that talks about this weird 
almost interconnected web that happens with people um, that that have these experiences from abductions to just seeing them, getting a download, hearing something. Uh, what do you make of that? And and do you feel that kind of like steered you to where you are today? Oh, that, that sort of um, networking um, the, and, and, you know, that I think falls into a bigger category of synchronicities mm. just in general. Um, yeah, the bizarre synchronicities uh, I, I've had and I've seen other people. Yeah, I, I know people, it really takes a cake. I'm like, that is just absolutely ridiculous that this chain of events happened to bring you where you are right now, which seems to be exactly where you need to be. This 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 major intervention that would be required on a cosmic scale to make these things happen, and yet they do. And um, one uh, theme that, um, you, you know, a strange thing, I'll, I'll just bring this up. Um, today and yesterday, um, two people brought up um, transparent beings. Um, they could actually see through them. And, and I'm like, I'm like, you don't generally hear that. Um, it's not the first time I'd ever heard it, but it's odd that two people are like, Hey, you know, I had this happen. I'm like, well, that's kind of uh, unusual. Um, and, and that's only a small one. You know, I could get into some really big and, and stranger ones. And it, it, it almost feels like that the phenomena goes through seasons almost. And, and that where groups of people that have always tended to experience the same type of thing will all of a sudden activate and have experiences and have oddly similar experiences. Um, but you can't really put a finger on why, like, why did these two people just have, you know, or at least bring up uh, these sort of not entirely physical beings or cloaked beings or whatever that made them um, transparent. Now you these know, two what, people, I'm sorry to interrupt, but these two people that you're talking about, they don't know each other. They're, separated or um they actually do know each other but okay. not that well just they they know each other from the the community and uh, okay. I, I know that they did not have a conversation with each other okay i just i wanted to see because we've talked to people especially when it comes to march in 1994 and we're going to dig into that a little bit i want to pick your brain on that since march 8th was such a big deal um but yeah, people that have listened to our show and heard our one experiencer that we had on Guy Merritt, and I know he says that he has talked to you before. Oh, I'm very um, familiar. Yeah. Um, south of Flint, and then all these crazy things that happen, but then come to find out one of the people that saw the same craft that he did early in the morning, he was in Port Huron. But later that night, or I think it was the day before, Guy was in a band and was playing with the band in Emley City. And this guy, his name is Ed, was there at the bar, didn't meet mm -hmm. Guy, but walked up to the band. And Guy remembers him walking up because he asked him if they could play Wipeout. And the, the uh, guitar player or whatever looked at Ed and said, 
now we don't play that song. We don't know the words, right? Being a, being a smart Alec, right? And, you know, when they found out and they connect it through us, our, our site and our podcast, it was like crazy. And then we had another person that was on the outside of this a few days later, had a sighting a few days later of the same craft in the same location, South of Flint, listened to our podcast and got right in touch with the guy and they compared notes and it was ridiculous. Like the, mm-hmm. the synchronicities are crazy. So it all pointed them all to come. And all of us talked about these triangular craft that we've seen. And it, it's, it's just, bizarre uh, you know as guy would say it's just completely wacky like w- what nobody would ever believe you mm-hmm. so i just you know i just i i find that very fascinating that the way these things seem to happen and and people find each other in in these experiences um so did you have anything else you wanted to add on to that before i dive into a different set of questions um maybe not um my, my stories um in these books um i i tried to to write them in a, a lean fashion um some of the ufo books that have been out there i find to be kind of bloated with uh, a, a lot that people don't tend to care about and so i i try to keep it very tight and and to the you know the what what I feel needs to be said in in a comprehensive you know easy to understand way and um, there is yet another book's worth of material out there I could write about but it may take a while before I, I get that out and um, experiencer three maybe yeah yeah awesome um, yeah it'll be it'll be a while it'll be a while um, but um, yeah I, I did my best to add my voice to the community and and hopefully somebody gets something out of it. Awesome. So just for anybody listening, um, both of his books can be found on Amazon. So if you're interested in finding those books, it's experiencer raised in two worlds and then experiencer two when worlds collide, two worlds collide. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's dig in a little bit. I'm going to start hitting the hornet's nest and probably upsetting some people but we'll we'll see how this goes but you uh ufology seems like it's constantly rehashing the history of certain events whether it's roswell for the 30th time or the maelstrom incident and don't get me wrong it's important to have examined these events and maybe go back and look at them again like the march 8th 1994 western Michigan UFO incident, you know, a lot of people didn't even know about that. And it was great to, to see that happen, but it doesn't seem like things are moving forward or it's extremely slow. Like ufology seems almost stuck where it's at. What do you see as the future of ufology and where do you see MUFON in that future? Oh boy. Wow. That, that's, there's, there's, several, there's several questions in there. Um, with you know, I, I'm almost going to tackle it backwards. I I, I guess um, Mufon has made outreaches to the um, political community, and 
Um, for example, if you had seen the May open um, congressional hearing, um, the questions that were asked by Representative Andre Carson out of Indiana uh, to the Department of Defense, those questions were written for him by MUFON. Oh, nice. So, okay. That's good to know. So um, there are connections being made primarily in the elected officials who are taking an interest in this. Um, you know, these reports continue to come out, you know, wait for what's next. Um, but it, it, not, I'm not saying that like you'll be excited by what's next, but I'm saying there's going to be another one. I mean, there, the, the future part of what you would see in the future is this recurring reporting done with the, you know, um, the government taking into interest in it, the department of defense, um, seemingly formulating and reformulating groups that look specifically at the UFO phenomena and science as well. Now, NASA has got this panel to look into some of the unclassified reports and give their two cents. It's not quite what uh, the European Space Agency has done. They've had with Japan, G-E-I-P-A-N, a group that has looked now into this phenomena for 30 years. It's not just some like, you know... Um, panel they threw together to to say a thing or two i mean they've got a dedicated group looking into the phenomena so i you know the government the military science is going to say more and more and more and it's going to be a drip feed and really i think what's going on with that is they know much more than they've ever told um seems to be pretty clear and evident and they just want to sort of get into the conversation they want to get ahead of it for when people say one day, hey, wait a second, this thing's been, re- this UFO phenomenon has been real all along, and you've never told us about it. You've been hiding. And they'd be like, no, we haven't. Look, we've got these reports. We've showed you some videos. Look, we're, you know, we're on your side. And and so that's, I, I mean, I, I think the future of it is going to be this this slow motion disclosure um, and at, at some point it's actually going to reach a level that it's interesting. And, you know, culturally, I don't think there's that resistance to the phenomena that there used to be. Um, um, when I used to tell people what I did, you know, meaning state director of MUFON, it used to be like, oh, that's very interesting. Now the response I get, like, that's very interesting. I understand the government's looking into this. Oh, that's very interesting. You know, I understand the military release of videos on this. And, and they, they, they make the compliment that they always have. And then they throw on something like, oh, here's some credibility. This is something I think is credible. I think it's credible to me what the government says about this. So I'm going to say like, hey, you know, it, it's no, there's no giggle factor anymore. So that's that's progress. And yet the phenomena abides the same way it always did. Yes, there are these tentpole events, these big major events. But um, we get in Michigan about roughly about 200 sighting reports a year, new new reports. And they tend to be evenly spaced throughout the year. We get one or two a week, essentially. And um you know, it, they're fairly evenly spaced. There aren't any big times of year for sightings. Um, it is true. Maybe we'll get an extra one uh, around the 4th of July. <laughs> Somebody saw something, they is fireworks, whatever. But um, <clears throat> otherwise, fairly standard. And when you talk about where people are seeing things, it's when you plot these sightings on a map, it's always a population map. It's not just somebody out in the middle of nowhere 
possibly chemically induced to seeing things or believing things or imagining things. It's credible people everywhere. The Detroit area always has the biggest amount of sightings whenever you say, hey, give me the last 100 sightings. And, you know, the the numbers can vary a little bit around the state, but, you know, West Michigan and the Grand Rapids area, you know, a fairly big chunk there. And, you know, around the state, wherever you would expect more people to live, you have more sightings and all year round. So in in terms of what's going on with the phenomena, while I can say, well, 94 was the last big, big deal in Michigan, it's it's also true that the phenomena is always here. It's always occurring. It's always happening. And that's pretty cool in itself. It doesn't go away for several months and come back or years and come back. You know, I, you know, I expect, you know, after this interview, hop in an email, there might be one or two more sightings that we got this week here in Michigan. It That's, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Now, 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 importantly, importantly, we can identify most of what comes into us. So most of what's in our database is things that are identifiable aircraft or weather patterns or celestial things. True, 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 absolutely true. But we get, uh, say, like on a, on a, a good year for us when we can identify about 95% of what's coming in. 10% of that still is unidentified to our all-volunteer army of investigators, but well-trained. And um, that's pretty cool that you have 10 sightings a year where you say, you know, it was a glowing disc and it was doing these crazy maneuvers and, and, you know, there you go. And as the late um, Stanton Friedman, great ufologist used to say, you know, it really only takes one sighting event to be real. And then there it is, it's real. And, and so, you know, we, you know, we break that every year. And um, I can even talk specifics about, um, you know, one or two cases uh, of high interest in Michigan that aren't 300 witnesses like there were in in Grand Rapids, but uh, are are still very interesting. The thing about these major events, too, um, is if you put it into, um, if you, if you, apply this to other things um like say elections elections occur all the time people vote for things uh, on a small level but like a big election like the 2020 presidential election and people will say wow you know there hasn't been a big election in two years well yeah i mean it, it i mean big events happen in the midst of all the the mass of small events or if you're talking about the history of conflict in our world you know, there you go back and you say, oh, Vietnam, World War II, blah, 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 you know, World War One, and, and you look at these giant massive events where really the world is never really completely at peace. There's always groups skirmishing with, with each other somewhere. And it doesn't mean that things are necessarily taking a step back just because there hasn't been the next big thing. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not the one driving the UFO, so I, I don't know what triggers these big events to pop out and then they recede and, uh, you know, sort of go back to the normal level. Um, but, you know, I, I think that just because there hasn't been a, a major multi-witness event in, in a little while that, you know, at my level, I'm seeing reports all the time. And, and so it's always in my face. It's always directly, tangibly real to me. 
Hey everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors and some friends of the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, this is Ray Shemansky, author of the Alien Shades of Grey's trilogy, and you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, I'm Greg Little, co-author of Origins of the God with England's Andrew Collins. It's a great book. It's about UFOs and the paranormal, and it gives an explanation. It's not what you think. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. of Follow the Reaper podcast, where every episode we examine first and secondhand true paranormal encounters. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hey there, it's Richard Serrett, occasional weekend guest host of Coast to Coast AM and host of The Conspiracy Show. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle's Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. 
What's up, everyone? This is Burton. And Aaron from Lost in the Dark Podcast. And raise your horns because you're listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moon Bear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, this is Terry Lane Keel, director of MUFON memberships, investigator, demonologist, and author of Alien Healing, the true story of a benevolent extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Hi, this is Seth Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Okay, so do you see like more citizen scientists getting involved, whether it's podcasting like what Michelle and I do and all these people that are involved in this um, or do you see like more boots on the ground investigations going on? Have you seen like an increase in your MUFON memberships and people getting involved and wanting, wanting more UFO news and, you know, maybe learning to be an investigator? Yeah. All of the above, all very true. Um, I used to, when I get my little, uh, spiel about MUFON, I used to say, you know, we have 4,000 members. Well, now we have 5,000 members. So, I mean, as as a group, it's growing. MUFON's been around since 1969. I have not been around since 1969. But, um, but the organization has steadily um, grown in and earnest, um, you might say, well, 5,000, you know, that's, that's not a huge number, but there is no other group like MUFON. I mean, really we're the world's largest civilian UFO research organization and in 40 plus countries and, you know, other groups. Well, somebody will say, well, what about the national UFO, uh, UFO reporting center? Fantastic uh, depository of UFO sightings, not, particularly known as an active investigative outfit not to take anything away it's it's a great way to to have a, a highly visible post uh, of a number of sightings it it's it, it does very well in the lane that it's in and i have tremendous respect for them but as an investigative group 
nothing like MUFON. Now, um, if you compare quality to quantity, um, the Center for UFO Studies at J. Allen Hynek's group, I, I mentioned uh, KUFOS earlier, being headquartered in Michigan, I mean, that's a group made up of primarily PhDs. So these are scientists looking into the phenomena. Um, it's a much smaller group of, like, you know, very, you know, a much, much, much smaller group. But uh, these are, uh, you know, when you have a, a group of PhDs discussing the UFO phenomena and you're in the room with them, it, it's it's a whole nother level uh, of conversation. And if you look just pointing to, I, I think the hot new scientists right now talking about this would have to be Gary Nolan, who um, if uh, your listeners are, 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 are interested in hearing what a real scientist has to say about the phenomena, I would encourage them to find uh, an interview with him on YouTube or wherever um, he had, you know, said that the CIA came to him directly and said, you know, a lot of close encounter witnesses have had their brains affected by their sightings. And he looks into them and says, yeah, sure enough. Yes, they have. And he also, um, if you get a good interview with him, he'll talk about his own personal contact experience, not just um, seeing a UFO, but he is himself uh, an experiencer. And he's, you know, just geneticist Stanford, if, if I remember his credentials correctly. Um, uh, this, you know, he's he's the real deal. And, and uh, you know, if, if uh, you don't... Um, if you have tempered expectations of what somebody who's a civilian um, volunteer UFO investigator um, brings to the table and, and you want that, that science, you know, I would say, check out Gary Nolan. Yeah. I recently saw that he has kind of come forward now more and more talking about what was uh, his role in being called in by the CIA and talking about the, the experiencers and, how their brains were changed. It was very interesting. Um, yeah. So everybody out there, take a look into Gary Nolan and see, um, because I believe he was first introduced in, was it phenomenon? And he was looking at, he was trying to do some type of material science or something like that in that documentary. And they basically didn't come to any conclusions by the, by the end of that, if I'm remembering correctly, do you recall? I, I remember seeing him in one of those. Uh, I hate yeah. I watch so much. UFO so many, content, <laughs> which one it is kind of the bleeds together, but it, it, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it was possibly that one. And in any case, watch it. And, yeah. And yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can try to get him on to talk about his experiences. That'd be really cool. And, uh, maybe go into depth a little bit more about what he's going to do now in the future um, since he's putting himself out there now. So, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the great New York times. And I don't know what to make of this because I was all on board at the beginning with the release of the videos and the credibility of the Navy pilots and things like that. But recently they just put out an article and the title of it is many military UFO reports are just foreign spying or airborne trash. And they use that word trash. And 
I thought that was kind of a little bit of a slap in the face to people that were kind of following this. And when they broke the whole story back in with Lou Elizondo and, and uh, who was it? Tom DeLong back in 2017 with the videos. And now they seem to be backtracking. If you read that article and especially about the three Navy videos. And so I'm just wondering, do you think that the government at this point is now trying to put the genie back in the bottle? Like they open up this Pandora's box and now they're going, whoa, whoa, hold on everybody. Cause now the Navy's going to classify videos. You're never going to see certain videos or data until 2045 or whatever the number is. What, what are your thoughts on this when it's coming from the government? See, I would personally, I would rather trust an organization like yours with people on the ground, with your training through MUFON as citizens than when it comes to the government, because they've got national security ideas and everything going on in the background. And I can understand that, but I think we need you know, we need, we don't need disclosure. We need closure on this. What is going on? <laughs> so what are your thoughts? Uh, I think they walk a very tight, uh, tight rope, um, a very, very thin line. They are, they, they have to um, show some sort of respect, if you will, now for the phenomena because, I mean, with the Kepler, the Hubble, the Webb telescope now getting better and better results looking out into deep space, you know, the estimate is what, two trillion galaxies out there and in the Milky Way galaxies, maybe one in six stars have a potentially habitable world on it. I mean, the science is being put out there that the odds for life out there, it's in the favor of that that's a reality. When people say, oh, nobody's got good pictures of, of UFOs on their phone, you know, no good videos, no good photos. Well, MUFON has a lot of great video and photos um, that were taken with cell phones. Um, they're not publicly released. Um, these are people that come to MUFON and say, I took this video. I don't know what it is. And there's that anonymity. There's that confidentiality when you want to share one of these things publicly it's a very specific form release form that the witness has to fill out. And I I've been through that when I've shared things occasionally, uh, we don't just dump out this, you know, the, all these videos and photos, but they exist. They're real. And the government knows that more and more content is being um, acquired, uh, captured, filmed. And that due to, you know, primarily the internet people who are, um credible are connecting with one another and having open discussions about this phenomena and, and it's everything is moving in the direction that even if the government wanted to deny it there's going to be that straw that breaks the camel's back and there's they're not going to be able to deny it and because of that they have to get in ahead of this argument and and, and be uh, seemingly open seemingly um you know, taking it seriously so that when the time comes, like I mentioned before, and somebody addresses them, they'll say, oh, yeah, we were always on your side. And if you look at the videos, right, oh, one way out over the Atlantic, one over the Pacific. These aren't these aren't videos over land. 
it's you know a test balloon what will people think of a video of a uh, you know out on the atlantic or you know and they're navy videos you know they're not they're not they're not civilian videos they're not over land they're they're it's it's you know it's not an accident um and it should be apparent when you look at what was released it was not an accident the type of videos that came out leaked if they say that or not right right so it you know that that was very intentional to get the the public's response to it um, and then on the other hand, the reason that they're keep they want to keep it quiet is the same reason they've always wanted to keep it quiet. Because what value is there in telling the public we're being visited by beings from elsewhere, and there's really not anything we can do about it. Um, sorry, you know, on with your day. You know, good luck with that. Um, they have every reason, the same reasons that they've always wanted to keep this secret. They still want to keep it secret. Um, They don't want to panic the public, upset the apple cart, change the world unintentionally in a way that they can no longer as easily control. They want to be seen, governments want to be seen as the authorities. But what happens when a higher authority presents itself and they acknowledge it? And that phenomena comes and goes as it pleases. We have no control over it, over these things that are coming and going. You know, it just just takes away uh, any sort of... um, you know, respect that in, in in existing institutions when you add this mysterious element, and so yeah, that that this is the thing. This is the the, the tough situation that they find themselves in. And you talk about like this this coming and going. Like here's some information. Oh wait, no, this doesn't tend to be credible. Oh wait, maybe it is credible. Oh, here's some new information. And you know, it's just these balls being juggled in front of us and. Um, I think it's to, um, you know, lightly tap the brakes on this very slow release of information from the government and military um, so that they when the time comes, when it's obvious, when that UFO lands on the White House lawn, everyone will say, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, and, you know, did you know about this? Yeah, we told you all about it. So it's I think that's what's going on. It's a very difficult thing to let out to the public very challenging not much return on investment to to bring it out um the only reason for them to even give any sort of um you know respect credibility i I know i keep saying those words um is is that when it becomes undeniable that the, the people won't turn on their government um yeah, I, I really think it's that simple. They, they've got a really tough position that they're in. And I really think, you know, um, one, they know way more what what was released, what they talk about. Tip of the iceberg is is an understatement. They know they know so much more about this phenomena at some level, at some mysterious level, not your elected officials, not your. You know, it's not going to be your state congressman that's read in on this. It's at some deep level um, of people that are, you know, basically locked in with these non-disclosure agreements and, and being able to to sort of monitor the situation in a way that they're not out of office in a couple of years and feel free to talk about things that they shouldn't. Um, so so that so that so that's a problem. But. On the other hand, um, I have not ever been one to need the government to tell me whether or not this phenomenon is real. <laughs> you know, 
Um, I've experienced it firsthand. And, you know, I'm part of grassroots organization that we get these reports in all the time. Um, I don't need anybody else to tell me whether or not this is real, a real phenomena. Yes, 95% of what comes into us in any given year can be explained. That's almost everything, almost everything. But what remains is just just flabbergasting. It's just it's just evidence, real evidence that we're not alone, and um, this has been an ongoing phenomena. I couldn't agree more. Do you think the government has a crash UFO or retrieval of technology that they're working on? And by the way, when you were talking about the elected officials, I always used to say that, why would you tell these deep, dark secrets or you know, anything about this stuff to a temporary employee, because they could be gone in two years or four years, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, or they leave, you know, and that's probably not the best person to have. You probably want generals or military people at the Pentagon or defense contractors or some deep, you know, that deep state, you know, that's going on. But Back to my original question. Do you think there is some type of technology that they have recovered and are working on? I think so. Um, The closest I can come to an actual witness is my dad said he worked with a guy who was when he was in the military. He saw them reverse engineering um, discs at Area 51 of all places. And, um, you know, but apart from that, I'm not so much the um, conspiracy guy. I don't do these direct investigations and try to shake out information and and try to put these pieces together. There's uh, great people out there in the UFO community doing that good work. But <clears throat> I, I, I find credence in the stories of um, reversed engineering, uh, reverse engineer technology and uh you know, uh, Fox's new, not James Fox, uh, his new um, movie, um, Witness to Contact, I think it might be called. Uh, pardon me if I, I got the title wrong, but it's about Moment. Brazil. Isn't it Moment of Contact? Could be, yes. Moment, yeah. yeah. You know, Brazil's uh, Roswell. I have yet to see the film, but I have seen his interviews on it. And that seems to be a very credible uh, disc. Uh, crash retrieval as well as, as a being that was in that disc and and so i you know i i think there's a lot out there that, that support that these things do happen these these things come down these you know these craft come down they're retrieved probably all over the world and it's squirreled away someplace where some somebody's trying to figure out how they work and then turn it into a weapon yeah i i tend to agree and i hope that they don't come looking for their technology at some point. Um, hopefully they've just kind of written it off or okay with the stuff that we have found. But uh, I, w- I would hate to be around if they decided they wanted it back hmm. and what that would cause. That might be the straw that broke the camel's back moment you were talking about earlier. You were featured in Something in the Sky on the Netflix reboot of Unsolved Mysteries, along with Jack Bouchon Jr., who we had on our uh, last episode. Can you tell us what that experience was like and uh, what has your investigation revealed thus far? Um, 
Hmm, okay, so I'll, I'll come into it uh, this way. As I, I said before, I joined MUFON in 93, and I was just getting my field investigator status acquired when this moment happened in history, March 8th, 1994, on the west side of Michigan, Grand Rapids, Holland, Muskegon, Grand Haven. Um, So coming into a UFO organization, what more exciting time to do so than at a moment like this? It was just incredible. I was not um, certified as a field investigator yet, though being friends with Shirley Coyne and being over her home quite often, she would sort of uh, fill me in on on the investigation and how it was going. And so I, I got sort of a, a ringside seat to the investigation that way. But um, yeah, I mean, there were so many witnesses um, to this particular one night. Um, there were people who witnessed discs uh, solid discs of different glowing colors, like you'd see a red disc or a blue disc or a green disc flying around. They would snap into formation, snap out of formation. Um, out of these, again, roughly 300 witnesses, uh, there were uh, 60 recorded calls to 911. Uh, many of those have been released, um, and you can listen to them themselves. A lot of them played on the actual show. And, the you know, of course, along with the uh, police witness, uh, you know, which is a big part of the show, the Gray's family, family four, um, a couple and their two kids see this giant disc with glowing lights just hovering across the street. The police um, dispatch uh, an officer to Officer Jeff Feldhouse to go investigate it. And it's simultaneously being witnessed by the National Weather Service radar, um, Bishong. And so it just, you know, I mean, it's real. This is something that's happening. And I won't go into, you know, some of the finer details. I encourage people to actually watch uh, the production because it does a really good job about it. And and has and it's from the witnesses themselves. But, um, yeah, it was a major event. Bushong, um, he may have even mentioned specifically. I did listen to part of the interview. I'm not sure if you mentioned specifically the 72,000 miles an hour that these things. Yeah. Like snap, they would snap in the radar beam, like go to one extreme from one edge to the other. And then the other two would snap into place almost like a rubber band, like they were being drugged behind really quickly in, mm-hmm. in closing that distance very quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, people ask if there were any pictures or videos, because um, if you watch uh, the production, you'll notice that there wasn't any in there. And I am in possession on a VHS tape somewhere um, in the house of uh, of some of the videos that were uh, supposedly taken at night. And it's essentially a big black background and a white dot kind of jiggling slightly. And you don't know if the object is moving or if the person just can't hold their camera straight. And when we're talking 1994, we're not talking cell phone. We're talking like big honking thing you were right. you know, with the a camera VHS cassette recorders yeah. and things like that yeah so uh, it's understandable that i mean ufo sightings you know are are, are t- typically pretty quick events like three to five seconds in, in most cases and by the time that somebody would be able to go out go in their house rummage make sure that the, the camera is charged up and that they have the right tape in there and they're not going to um, tape over their niece's wedding, <laughs> you know, all the fun stuff um, right. from back in the day. Um, yeah. It, and, and on top of that, 
try to video something that's way up in the atmosphere that your eyes can detect is very clearly strange, but in a ca- in a camera, it just reproduces it as a white dot on a black background. So unfortunately, not a lot of good video of that event. Should something like that happen today, um, there really might be some really compelling video made um, from that. Like the Graves family sighting in and of itself, um, they could have really captured something. Even uh, Cindy Pravda said that, uh, you know, what she had saw was was visible for some time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you looked at any other cases in March of 94 in Michigan? I know that there are many reports of like huge black triangular type of craft. It was mentioned in the Flint, Flint Journal. On March 15th, there was an article about a, a young man who saw one of these uh, oh, triangles. And then on the 18th, uh, Guy Merritt and uh, Ed, he, you know, they both saw this same kind of triangle south of Flint. Um, but there was a lot of east side of the state things going on as well, including a couple abduction cases uh, where women were taken up off of us 23 driving to work. And then they lost an hour of time heading the wrong way on the expressway, trying to get back to work and freaking out as they just wake up on the wrong side of the road, which is really bizarre, but they did type up their accounts. And, and I, I'm not sure where those accounts are. It might be move on. It might be somewhere else. I'm not sure, but, um, do you see any kind of correlation? And I know you talked about this a little bit in the interview, but with the month of March and the number of UFO sightings in the state, I I, uh, te- I tend to see that there is an increase of things that people are reporting um, in March. And I've got some ideas as to what that might be, but I'm just curious, what do you know? If anything about March, April, and by the way, the, the police talking about the descriptions of the 94 incident, those crafts sound very similar to what the sheriff uh, deputies were drawing and saying that they saw in the 1966 famous swamp gas incident in Ann Arbor and um, Dexter area when that was all going on and, and Gerald Ford got involved and that's when Heineck and Blue Book came up and they mm-hmm. sound very similar. So I'm wondering, are you guys looking at these other cases around that time frame and seeing if there is any kind of correlation between the stories and the witnesses and any other data like radar or whatever you might find? Yeah, um, great question. A lot goes into that. Again, you just sort of uh uh, ask three questions. Um, I, mean, I know I tend to do that because you know, I'm <laughs> I'm a teacher, so it's like I got to be ready with these questions and throw them out quickly. So I apologize for that, but take them however you want and take your time with them. Oh, and sure, I like um, I, I think it, the, which even made the cut of the the production that um, you know Michigan's got 82 counties, 42 had sightings. And so, yeah, sightings all over the state. One of the 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 phenomena, um, I phenomena. Um, one of the things that happen, um, as you could understand, is that, for example, after that something in the sky show aired, we're getting a lot more reports of things that are happening today or yesterday or recently. So once it gets into the media stream, um, then it excites people to report 
things that have happened to them. So that's so that's a factor. Um, now, in, in in a sense, how I say these sightings are ongoing all the time. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know who MUFON uh, have heard of the organization. They don't know who we are. Um, if somebody interviews a MUFON investigator in a newspaper, that could bump up sighting reports too. And you know, because we're getting about two hundred sightings a year to a small group, if essentially that most people haven't heard of, that means we're getting just a very tiny part of what people are seeing on a regular basis. And then once that name gets out there, like I said, I didn't know about MUFON until I went to Chicago and they, they said, go to talk to your state MUFON. Um, then then we we tend to collect more reports that way. So in a sense, like, you know, that that report made it to the front page of the Detroit News Free Press. The front page, you know, the March 8th event, the Graves family is on the front page of the free press, news free press. And, and and so, yeah, so that will help, you know, draw in the feed. And so if people are reporting things a week later or whatever, it's because there's still that media buzz um, about it and people want to be part of the conversation. Um, I can only imagine what in a modern social media sense, a, a major event like that would, would do. Um, and, but so that's, that's certainly part of it. And I, I do find it interesting, um, that from, and, and I know somebody who lived in Port Huron, who actually had a sighting on March 7th, um, of 94. So related in the sense that it's something in the sky that can't be explained and it doesn't seem to be anything else than some sort of vehicle, some sort of craft or whatever. Yes. But how to exactly tie things in together? Um, yeah, you know, there are some correlations sure on, on the discs um, between you mentioned between 94 and 66, but, um, there's also some differences too in a, a lot of the sightings, and, and and it's hard to say what what's what's meaningful and what's not meaningful. There was one uh, event that happened in 2004 um, where a guy said that wedge this wedge shaped black vehicle landed in his backyard, no wheels, had three portholes on the side, was there for an hour, uh, and then it flew away. This very strange very unique looking craft. And so I put it like a Stan Friedman would say, put it in a gray box. Like, okay, that's interesting. Nobody else has ever reported anything like that. Guy seems like he's on the ball. Okay. And then in 2008, somebody else, a truck driver who was a Michigander, who's happened to be down in Oklahoma, came to one of our uh, in-person MUFON meetings and said, Hey, look at what I saw down in Oklahoma. And he'd sketched that same nearly exact same thing that the other guy had saw and so i'm getting chills looking at this thing the only difference is in the 2004 sighting the vehicle had round portholes this guy drew square portholes now is that uh significant that they're square or round portholes or is it just like you know or is it not significant like you know for example the the jeep wrangler Sometimes has square headlights, sometimes has round headlights. Maybe it's just uh, just a different model year, <laughs> you know, but made by the same company, you know, to use that analogy. I don't know, you know, um, 
Yeah, I mean, if you look over the the course of 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 sightings, you do get a lot of disc shapes with lights on it. That seems to be common, and so therefore, it would make sense that there is some commonality between a sixty six and a ninety four sighting. Yeah, I was just wondering because obviously you would have you know certain characteristics like shape, size, you know, but also like function. What do these things look like they're doing and and that kind of got me interested in the last little bit of, and I wish there was more information in the episode of something in the sky, but the last little bit of the, the episode, there was the, I just, I love this report and I don't know why, but the waterfall in Lake Michigan mm-hmm. uh, that was reported by the two campers. Have you or anybody at MUFON looked any further into that report to see if there were any other witnesses out there at that time or anything like that, that could back up that story. Cause that is fascinating that these things seem to have some kind of interest in, in our water. Yeah. Reports of, of craft around water, drawing up water. Um, it's not uncommon. Um, and so in this case where apparently there were, Two witnesses to this, um, that means there was more than one. Um, I'm not used to there being uh, this type of report coming off the coast of uh, Michigan, particularly West Michigan. All right, so we're getting ready to wrap this up here. I got a last couple of questions for you. And again, I want to thank you. I think you've given us some great information to, to talk about and to think about when it comes to the sightings and the 94 incident that happened and uh, just trying to get everybody's perspective and, and just kind of build my own knowledge on this subject. Cause this was never anything I was deep diving into before until, you know, our experience. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and you hinted to this at the very beginning of the interview it, and I'm curious, is there a case besides the March 8th, 1994 UFO incident that you investigated or had investigated that truly surprised you? So something that kind of totally blew your mind. Um, uh, Yeah, there's a a couple um, personally. One is part of the one that I mentioned a moment ago where the thing landed in the guy's backyard, but I'll, I'll go this direction with uh a sighting that we investigated last year. And um, when you are embedded in UFO investigation for a while, you can often read a witness's tone of voice, how, how keen they are to detail, how the event affected them, um, just little little cues and basically how they describe what happens to them. Cause we've, heard you know i've heard certainly similar events um be described by different people in, in slightly different ways and it, that says as much about the witness as it does the event one of the things sometimes we get is like a sense of pure terror in in the the, the voice of a witness and <clears throat> a lot of times when if i get a voicemail um like uh, somebody calls and leaves a voicemail saying what they saw. 
a lot of times it'll be like, oh, me and my girlfriend, we were parked behind a Walmart and then we saw this thing come down. We thought it was an airplane and we realized it couldn't be an airplane because it had these weird lights on it and then it flew really fast and blah, blah, blah. And so they'll give you like a maybe a two minute synopsis of, of what they've seen. That's pretty common. Um, something to begin to work with. But um, this one call that I got, it was June 6th of last year. Uh, I got up and the the call was simply um, call me on my voicemail. It was just call me. And I heard in that person's voice, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, And and I didn't even know that, you know, it could have been anybody. It it didn't have to necessarily be a UFO, but I knew it was a UFO report. And I knew it was from a very shaken witness. Two words. That's all I needed to hear. So I'm like, I braced myself, got ready and called the witness back. And yeah, he's in Linden, Michigan. Um, He was driving uh, at 3.30 a.m. He was driving into work along Linden Road. And this is a very dark road. Um, And as he's driving, he notices this uncharacteristic white light up ahead off to the side of the road. And as he drives past it, he slows down a little bit and he looks. And in the middle of this field is this sort of monolith, like, like straight out of 2001 monolith. And it's got these four white glowing lights moving erratically around it. And um, he's, it wasn't a black monolith. It was sort of a sort of a silvery color. I think it was emitting light itself. And as I recall, and then um, he he's wondering, and like as he drives past it, he's like, "Well, that was crazy." And then he's wondering to himself, "Should I take a second look at that?" And right when he thought that, this orange teardrop-shaped light, very large, um, slid onto the road behind him from the direction of where the monolith and the four lights were almost like a guard dog saying, Nope, keep going. Don't, don't stop. And so he drove on to work and he was terrified and everything. And um, he gets out of work, he's driving home. And as he passes it now in broad daylight, he sees there's this 30 foot patch of dead grass where he saw the thing the night before. Um, so we went out, we went right out, me and two other investigators, our chief investigator, Daniel Snow, and another investigator, we went out and um, did, uh, um, took soil samples. Uh, the ground was a lot swampier than I thought it would be. <laughs> and I, I had several occasions to try to wrestle my foot, my my shoe to make sure it wasn't stuck. Um, and the witness, he came in, these full waders. And I'm like, why didn't you, t- <laughs> why didn't you give us some heads up? what we were getting into, but we took uh soil and water samples and passed them along to our lab in Missouri. And it essentially came back that it appeared that man-made chemicals um, actually took out the, the grass in that area, um, which just provides another mystery potentially, which is if these are man-made chemicals that created this dead patch, why did this phenomena choose that area to to manifest i don't know it was a strange one and yeah it really left the guy shaken as i think it would leave anybody shaken yeah i think so wow yeah that's that's a great great case and no idea who might have been in that area to do such a thing with chemicals or maybe they were chemicals from the craft 
Um, maybe, but I, I guess they were able to identify um, these types of things. They they didn't really seem out of place. They didn't seem, I mean, it, it seemed to be like the type of thing they've seen it before. Like, oh yeah, whenever somebody dumps this in the grass, obviously it's going to kill the grass kind of a thing. It, it didn't seem anything exotic. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, it was some weird thing and we got hold of something really cool, but I got to be straight with these cases. Yeah, the, the case is strange enough as it is without needing some extra weird stuff to have been deposited on earth, you know, like uh, out of like creep show or something with that Stephen King thing, you know, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was just a strange sighting in an unusual place. Well, speaking of creep show, has there ever been anything that you've been called out on or to investigate that you were told it was a UFO investigation or something, but it turned more paranormal, maybe spiritual ghost realm, anything along those lines. Wow. That's a deep dive down the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> the A. You can't, you, you, can't say, you, can't, you can't say you're wrapping up a show and then set up for a two hour <laughs> conversation. Um, well, it is a slow moving escalator down the rabbit hole as <laughs> people say about our podcast. So uh but yes yes for for certain sometimes um okay it, it used to be whenever we would take a, a ufo report for somebody would be thank you and then um somebody got a bright idea to ask one of our uh, previous chief investigators hey investigators when you ask somebody about their sighting can you ask them if they've ever seen had another ufo sighting any other ufo sightings um and and sometimes the answer would be yes. And a lot of times people will lead in with uh, the most benign sighting. Oh, I saw this white light do a 90 degree angle in the turn, uh, you know, turn in the sky. And then, so you take the report and they're like, Oh, you know, thanks. And they're like, by the way, when I was 12, this UFO landed in my backyard and took my whole family. And, you know, they'll lead in with something like that. And if you ask them, it's an even greater chance. Now I may, <laughs> I made potentially the mistake of saying, how about then at the end of an interview, instead of, you know, just asking about their sighting or asking if they've seen another UFO, ask them, have you ever seen anything else that you can't explain or encountered anything else you can't explain? And the floodgates open. Um, I represent an organization that is very focused on a very specific slice of the mysterious universe unknown craft unknown lights in the sky main focus um you could get degrees of variation from that that are slight um even the abduction contact experiencer phenomena is sort of in its own um spot within the organization um that's handled in a different way than our mainstream investigations are for the the main part um, I'm not going to really get into the weeds of the complexities of that, but we're a group that looks at flying saucers. That's, that's, that, that's, that's our charge. And um, yeah, when you find out these other things, um, poltergeist activity and the like, and all sorts of weird things. Um, yeah. It, it's often all mixed together. Um, very much so. And um, as investigators to, a phenomena that can often be answered in checkbox form. Okay, so what color was it? Okay, how fast did it move? Okay, how long did you see it? You know, these little things. When you have somebody with these deeply 
narrative experiences of, of something that's unexplainable that can't fit a checkbox, you, you get really into deeper and deeper water of, of what people are reporting. Um, this is fairly true of whenever I talk to somebody who's had a, a firsthand contact experience, they tend to be frequent flyers uh, for starters. Rarely is it somebody that's just had one experience. And basically the way that these things go is you get them on the phone and you tell them you got 45 minutes. And after an hour and a half of them just non-stop talking, non-stop, you don't get a syllable in, then you really have to end the, make a hard end to the phone call, tell them that you'll speak again. And then you have another hour long, maybe hour and a half conversation where they talk your ear off nonstop and this happened and this happened and then my sister was missing and then this red light came in and it was like this other thing that happened to us when you know when we were in high school and I told this friend uh in college about it and then we had this experience together and then you know and then the ghost of you know her mother showed up and then you're just like oh my gosh and you're on the ropes hearing these amazing lifetimes yeah just absolutely amazing stories incredible from great people and it's just it's just astonishing astonishing just astounding and and it's a wonderful wonderful thing very hard to corral and put any parameters on and then it's usually that third conversation where you're allowed to ask them questions and start to put some sort of semblance of structure around everything but that is common that is common um so many people out there live incredible lives. Yeah. Isn't that part of the the problem with this phenomenon is that we cannot put it into a nice little box to study. And so it's very hard to take standard scientific method, you know, methods and apply it to this phenomenon. It's it's all over the place. For sure. And and you know, there's this thing though that if you don't give things titles, if you don't call them like, you know, it's easy to say aliens. If you, and maybe they're not technically aliens, but if you don't give them some sort of structure, you can't even have a conversation. Um, you can't even talk about it because it's so hard to define that you could never talk about it at all. So you have to give these flawed definitions to things. You have to give these, you know, flawed. I, I would say flawed human symbols because we're trying to, right? We're trying to represent what these things are that we don't know. So we're we're just we're picking a symbol and framing it and and saying this is what it is. Like little gray men. Well, that's mm -hmm. my that might be how they appear to people, but that might not be what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. right. The the perception could be totally different than the reality, but the frame that we put that in is the little gray alien. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And then you take uh, like things that are on the fence, like shadow beings, for example, you know, ghost or alien. Well, you know, you listen to what other stuff has happened to the person and maybe you can make up your mind of what you think is is possibly the, the right category that such a thing fits into. And then, you know, there's that big debate about Bigfoot. 
sure being, being seen around ufos and and all of that and uh yeah i it, it's just it's just really tough um uh you know if, if you misdefine ill-defined some of these things you don't really get as close to the truth as you can but without titles without sort of some kind of structure you can't even talk about it and so it's it's really tough and then that level of, you know, how many times, you know, you could say it's a drinking game every time I say rabbit hole. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, but if you, you got, you, first of all, in a conversation, you sort of have to feel out with the other person, just how crazy they're willing to go with this com- conversation. You know, uh, is it a scientific thing that's happening in the sky that can be measured, uh, accurately and all of this other stuff maybe is somebody's imagination or do you take it all in and you know maybe we're in this big simulation and and blah 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 and and so you have to find out everybody's at a level everybody's at some point in the spectrum about where you know they think that we are able to define what's going on and and so sometimes you see some very awkward conversations going on between people trying thinking that they're talking about the same thing but really not having a a direct conversation at all because they they approach the phenomena in in such profoundly different ways yeah and then you end up it, it almost becomes like holy wars because you end up with people you know basically are trying to defend their belief of one thing versus somebody else's belief of the other and you got science trying to dip their feet into both aspects trying to figure out what's going on. And it's, I've noticed that in the community, it's a weird paradigm of how these things like interact with each other. Um, It's really bizarre. And I'm kind of glad we've branched out on our own to ask people like you and, and get people's different opinions, but we're not coming to any conclusions. We're just trying to gather data as to, uh what is going on and why did we see what we saw and why did i hear in my head get away you don't belong here and there's a huge black triangle floating at the uh the center of 275 and ford road in canton you know and and by the way i do really want to thank you for getting me in touch with daniel snow which is uh an investigator and uh and having us relay our story and send him pictures and our notes and things of what it was that we saw on that night of uh, March 9th, 2018. So I really appreciate that. Oh, for sure. So wrapping this up again, but we'll do it for sure this time. Um, where can people find you or more information about MoveFon and maybe about joining and how that all works, or maybe becoming an investigator themselves? Right. So if you are interested in reporting your UFO sighting, uh, go to MoveFon.com. There's a report form there. If you are interested in being a field investigator, um, become a member of MoveFon. And there's instructions at our MoveFon.com website, how to become a field investigator. If you're uh, wanting to join the local community of MoveFon, it's investigators and um, people that are interested in the phenomena, but not necessarily in any particular role or title. Um, you could go to Michigan MUFON site of MIMUFON.org 
Again, it's mi for Michigan, mufon.org, and and find out about our local meetings. Um, there is no currently no membership cost for our state chapter. We put out a newsletter every other month, and we also meet every other month. In fact, our upcoming guest, November 6th um, at 7 p.m. is Jack Bashong. So um, if you go to our website, you can find out more about how to participate in that meeting. And uh, yeah, uh, I have a couple books out, of course, on Amazon and other places you find books if you want to hear more about some of the stuff I talked about tonight. Awesome. All right, Bill, we took enough of your time. And again, I am very, very thankful that you were able to spend this time with us and and talk more about MUFON, your own experiences, um, the 1994 whole incident. It's uh, really great. And it really helps uh, helps us get a better understanding of what's going on out there, especially somebody who might be new to this and see something and then look something up and happen to find our podcast and they can find you right there and hear you explain and talk about what's going on in the organization that, that we have here in Michigan and worldwide with MUFON. So uh, I'm very happy with that. So I want to thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Well, that was a very interesting interview, Michelle. He seems to have had really some out there kind of crazy experiences, but you know, as well as I do talking to people, these are the lives that some of them are living. It's, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, but, um, very interesting stuff. And then you've got articles like we read tonight where, you know, you've got the other part of it where people are always trying to dismiss. It always seems like it's one or the other. You know, it's aliens and abductions versus everybody's a crackpot. You know, there's no middle ground. We saw something uh, and we're just trying to find answers. But, man, it it seems so diverse and sometimes so extreme as to what's going on out there. But either way, whether people believe this stuff or not, something happened, right? You know what? We're going to keep digging and we're going to keep talking. Yeah. So if you would like to support the show, there are many options. You know, you can buy us a cup of coffee, sign up for a Patreon Donate through PayPal or Anchor. Check out the merch store. All of this by clicking on the link tree that will take you to all of our support options as well as links to various podcast platforms so that you can continue to do this digging and talking and asking questions as well. Yeah, and don't forget, hit that like button, subscribe if you go on our YouTube channel. That really helps us out as we start to grow that YouTube channel as well. And you can easily find that in our link tree. So 
Michelle, it's been a long week. It's been absolutely crazy and draining, to say the least. I think we should head on out. What do you think? I think that sounds like a plan tonight. All right, everybody. We want to thank you for joining us once again. We hope you enjoyed the interview and the content. And we hope that you will join us on our YouTube channel next Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Absolutely. This is where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about this episode, episode 42 with Bill Konkoleski. So come join us. 8 p.m. Ready? Have a great night, everyone. All right, everybody. Have a great night. And remember those eyes to the sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO sightings and paranormal encounters. So until next time.